Welcome to the Zero Ambitions podcast. Today we are covering the talks and keynotes from BestFest 2022, and I'm joined by Eddie McAvinci from Scottish National Investment Bank. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So you were on world panels talking about the support landscape which exists to stimulate growth. And the first question I'd like to ask you is, what were the key takeaways that the audience gained uh, with this session? Very broad-ranging discussion today, all very, very interesting, but... Uh, what I thought was most interesting to hear that from such a broad range of attendees, the themes across them seem to be so similar. Um, decarbonisation of the built environment, whether it's new build or retrofit, seems to be the common theme, which is encouraging because it's one of the core missions that the bank has in the built environment space as well, the decarbonisation of heat, uh, whether that is new build properties or retrofit properties of cons- uh domestic or, or commercial. So so what's clear is that there's a lot of fairly innovative thinking out there about how to do this from the relatively traditional bricks and mortar style approach to uh, to innovation through to Microsoft-based technology mm-hmm. and digital applications. So there's a wide range of things, I think, for us to look at, at potential solutions. And I suppose for the bank, ultimately, to have a look at, at ways of uh, deploying our capital to support the growth and roll out of some of the opportunities that might be emerging from these kinds of fests. Okay. Now, you were saying that there was a core, obviously, core focus on uh, decarbonisation. Is there a risk that we're focusing too much on decarbonisation to the detriment of anything else? Or do you think that that is the right conversation to be having? So, decarbonisation of our built environment, I think, is a particularly important issue because it accounts in Scotland for more than 20% of our CO2 emissions. One of the biggest emitters that we have is how we heat and use our buildings. Mm-hmm. And there are a range of ways that we will decarbonise, but but it, it's it's critical that the buildings themselves, when they are up and being occupied, are decarbonised, but also that the manufacture and construction of buildings is decarbonised as well. So the, the, the most modern practices of building, which came through today, and then the most modern practices for operating our, our properties are, are absolutely critical. Fabric first, I think, is key for any building that we're looking at. So making sure the insulation, the glazing and other forms of the fabric are are right. And then looking at how we deal with our energy consumption and heat consumption within within, uh, the properties is key as well. So I think it it is probably the most fundamental challenge that we have in our built environment. There's the technical solutions and there's the financial solutions, uh, as well as the policy, which is aligned to both. There are some interesting technical solutions coming to market, which I think we need to start to find a way to to scale up the, the rollout of those. Because it's a challenge, I think, to, to achieve the decarbonisation goals that we have by 2045 for our built environment. Um, there's a need to act today, well ahead of 2030, uh, if we're going to actually achieve the 2045 goal. So, so the stuff that's coming out of today are some of the innovative new ideas that will make that real progress by implementing these technologies and solutions over the next 10 years to accelerate the, the reduction in CO2 emissions from our buildings over the over the next um, 25 years, effectively. So... We're talking about stimulating growth and that support, having a support landscape. And what is that support landscape? Because you've just touched upon a few different aspects, but are, are there other elements to that? And from my perspective, I'm thinking also that we tend to, and today I was really hard to hear that we're talking a lot about the people. That's been a real, really, really big topic, which I don't think was there that long ago, that we were thinking about the technical side, the policy side, all of those aspects will always been there, but we're talking about the people more and more and the way that buildings are being used and understood as well. So are there any other aspects of the 
the support landscape that we need to consider. I'd say probably the, the whole of the financial landscape needs to be thought about it because it's, it's a bit of a patchwork mm-hmm. um, and I, we probably can't afford to miss any key bit of it because if we do, it will, there'll be a key component of the built environments ecosystem which would have the funding that it needs to be able to scale up. I think what's important over the next decade or so is that the, the, the companies or the projects which are there that can make a difference either through new build or retrofit have to be able to scale up. So the funding may, being made available to, to all of them uh, at whatever their stage or whatever type of product or project that they have is key. From the, from the Scottish National Investment Bank's perspective, we have a broad range of situations that we can fund, but what is an important characteristic of how we invest is that we generally will invest or provide funding at the commercial stage of a company or a product's um, life cycle. There's a lot of, that comes before that. So the financial ecosystem that exists before we get involved is as critical, if not more critical in some ways than us. So R&D funding that comes through bodies like Scottish Enterprise, Highlands and Islands Enterprise and others uh, and UK central government are all really critical because there are lots of good grant programs out there, uh, early stage equity programs for, for a lot of the types of companies that we saw today that then will get themselves to a stage where the bank as an investor who's providing say three, four, five million pounds and upwards becomes more relevant to that company when it's hit the commercial stage because it could be a five to 10 year pathway from a founder coming up with a concept Mm -hmm. to it being at the point by having worked with Best for a few years where it's ready to actually lock in material volumes of commercial revenues and contracts and where that scale up requirement of more people, more facilities to reach more markets needs our capital to come into it. So everybody has to be quite joined up about uh, where the capital is available. And there's a mix of public and private sector. So where we are public capital provider which is designed to crowd in private capital we want to see as much private capital being made made available over the next few years to these types of companies Mm -hmm. as possible but alongside public capital at very early stage uh, there is also people like seed uh, capital providers from the angel syndicate in Mm -hmm. in uh, scotland which for some of the very innovative strong ip backed propositions we're looking at there's actually a range of funding out there which which is worth them trying to to access and we want to be part of trying to make sure that that ecosystem works together to get funding to these types of companies i thought it was very interesting what you said about being you want to go places and bring everyone with you i think that is sort of part of your mission isn't it to to sort of show the way as it were and why is that Uh, again I, i was also it was interesting when you said the first lens for everything that you do is the question you ask rather is are you mission aligned so what is this mission and, and why are you the ones trying to be uh, first to market and show the show the way yeah so we we are an investor we are a, an investment bank but the key bit is we're a development investment bank mm-hmm. and the development bit of that is key because we are trying to address situations of market failure uh, or catalyze new markets but all through the lens of one of our three missions or ideally all three of our, our missions um, we've been set up to catalyze investment into situations that have got net zero alignment, place alignment, or innovation alignment. And what's really interesting about a topic like today's discussion is we're actually talking about all three of those. The decarbonization of buildings was a key bit of that, whether it's recycling materials, whether it's reducing the energy consumption within buildings. Um, the place act aspect of key is because some of what we're talking about is places and where people live, where people will work, um, the idea of social inclusion. 
But then there's a very strong innovation theme comes through everything that BEST does. So there's a really interesting opportunity through what's here to align with all three of the bank's missions and I suppose create a bit of a home run mm-hmm. with opportunities that, that that might come away from these kinds of events because there's there's a potential for alignment with all three of those missions, which is a relatively unique situation for us. So, so th- that's what I think what makes us different to a lot of other investors in the market and that we are ge- a genuinely mission-aligned, impact-focused investor. If we can get comfortable at a proposition that has come to us, can deliver impact in line with one of those three missions, what we will then do is move into a, a broader commercial and financial analysis of the situation the way that most other investors would do as well. But the key first step in, in for us in that is, are you mission aligned with the bank's three missions? Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting potential from today's kind of attendees in, in terms of where we sit. Can you tell me a bit more about your, your investments? Because some of them were there in the panel. So it'd be really interesting to hear more about them. Absolutely. So on, um, sitting alongside me on the, on the panel uh, today were Sunamp. And Sunamp were one of the first investments that the bank had made. Um, it's a relatively well-established business based uh, just outside of Edinburgh, which had proven uh, a new thermal storage technology and their challenge was attracting capital to be able to scale up to tackle international markets. Mid-2021, we provided them with capital which allowed them to to scale up their, their operations and not long after our investment, they won a distribution contract in China and part of, part of that investment is making sure that they can th- tackle these opportunities as they arise and address that global market. Because what we want to support as far as we can is companies that don't just have an an immediate application in Scotland and the UK, but can actually export around the world. So Sunam's an interesting opportunity there. Now, the, the role of our funding has been to essentially act as a pathway to private capital come in because that's a core bit of what we try to do as well as the mission alignment one of the key mandates we have is crowd in private capital we invest on commercial terms for commercial returns and one of the key reasons to do that is essentially i suppose to mimic the criteria which private capital will look for in an investment and with sunamp we were able to put capital in at a point where they needed it but preceding their uh, next funding round that they anticipated. And the idea is to give the market comfort that we as a commercially focused uh, investor have given, if you like, a seal of approval or or, or a good reference check to the commercial commercial standing of the business. It's a backable business which we believe can um, generate commercial returns. So the idea is that the next round, the investors who will follow take our investment um, as a a source of comfort. We also invested in in Nature which is one of the first investments that the bank did in the middle of last year, which is a carbon negative uh, insulation provider. And again, it's a company which had a proven product, but the next stage for them was to tackle the market by making sure they had the manufacturing facilities so that they could actually get product to market. So we provided them with funding to get a manufacturing facility up and running, and we're hoping to see them get out to market with uh, with material amounts of product and addressing the, the emerging opportunity for fabric first approaches in buildings. So, so in a sense, these are quite innovative companies as well. So you're, you're looking for innovation as much as uh, just, I suppose, that there's an aspect of it where we know there are solutions out there, at least from my perspective, there are a lot of the solutions already out there. But stimulating growth actually means, to some extent, from your perspective, it has to be about around innovation as well, because otherwise, if we don't innovate, we can't grow. Is, is that sort of where, where you're coming from? That, that's a very strong focus for a lot of what we do. So... Typically, equity investments into companies, we look for a strong innovation slant. 
and the the principle there is that you're backing businesses which have got good IP embedded into the businesses, which can use that IP to scale up, will recruit people into high value jobs over time, and there's something there to create value off the back of. But it's not just equity investments into companies, we actually go much wider than that. So some of what we have done is invest in directly into housing. Mm-hmm. So the second investment the bank made was a £40 million commitment to PFP Capital's mid-market rent fund. So that was a situation where there are just over a thousand mid-market rental properties being developed around Scotland. And the role that the bank was able to play in making sure that those properties, when they're being constructed, are built to a minimum EPC standard. Mm -hmm. So they'll all be a minimum of EPCB. So that's another way that our capital can be used away from purely investing into companies. And less of a need for a pure innovation slant, but but we like to think that our capital is is making a difference there. We've also provided capital to Strathcarran Homes, uh, who were were developing a small number of properties. But again, it's our capital being able to be to, to come to the table and influencing the the way the properties are built and how the built environment evolves and piece by piece. You know, we we won't um, build Rome in a day, but with a portfolio effect and enough investments or uh, debt facilities to companies and projects allows us at scale over a 10 year period when we've deployed our full two billion um, across the portfolio to actually probably have had quite a meaningful effect through different types of companies or projects and situations. What we want to do is, is, is support innovative supply chain companies. We want to support housing projects, but I also want to do some of the other more ancillary, maybe invisible bits, things like heat networks. Mm-hmm. So Scotland's got quite uh, strong ambitions now for increasing the uh, rollout rate of heat networks, moving from about 1.5% of buildings being heated by heat, uh, heat networks to about 8% by 2030. So we think there's a role for us to deploy project finance debt, and that will be where the end user is domestic properties, it could be commercial properties, but it's making sure that the, the heat networks are there and are connected to the buildings in the right way. So companies, housing, heat networks, range of things that we, we can do in this space to deploy our capital, but ultimately support the development of the built environment. Okay. Where do the biggest challenges to stimulating growth lie? So this uh, theme is probably front and centre for us because what we are trying to do ultimately is catalyse investment into new markets here. Uh, If you take retrofit, which is a big challenge in Scotland, we want to play a role in trying to create an investable retrofit market. I think everybody identifies the need to do retrofit, but I suppose the financial case for retrofit is still one that needs to be proven. Some of that will come down to policy. Uh, and regulation and the extent to which they can form to create a market and a market which will will produce identifiable returns. So ultimately creating the justification of doing because there will be two justifications for a lot of what we want to do. There'll be a net zero justification because we want to decarbonize buildings. The other justification has to be commercial. So if you're going to deploy capital, you probably want to see that done at a level of return. So we're trying to identify the ways that capital can be deployed into the built environment to decarbonize the built environment and do it, do it in a way which creates an identifiable return for people. So what we are trying to do is partner with people to create pilot funding 
programs where we can help prove out a case that there's a way to deploy capital in retrofit that delivers a return to private capital should it mimic what we do in 12 or 18 months after we've done it. And the challenge, I think, is still identifying what that investment return will be. I think there's an environmental and social return, but putting putting a pounds and pence financial return from a from an ROI and an IRR perspective um sorry an in, in, internal rate of return perspective is probably the bit that's still a bit difficult the other bit that i think is a challenge for retrofitting which is a very big theme from today is how effectively to do it because we've got quite a mixed tenure in terms of our built environment you, there are lots of commercially owned pr- premises where you can achieve a degree of retrofit at scale. But when we talk about domestic retrofit, finding the ways to tackle access to those properties and the occupiers and owners to agree to a switch is the key challenge as well. So there's a degree of financial innovation required. Policy innovation, which is, I think, coming through, what we can see is that Scotland probably has some of the most ambitious policy in this area. Uh, but then also technically, how can the people who are at, at uh, the best face today identify the way to go out and actively do retrofit at scale so we get towards the 2045 targets that we've got for decarbonisation of our, of our buildings? We've got a role in all of that. But key thing is we, we, have, we have some ideas and lots of capital. There are a lot more people out there will have more ideas than we will have on how to do this. Uh, and we're keen to partner with them as far as possible. So between our capital and approaches to innovative finance and their approaches to inno- innovative deployment of capital, we think there's a way that as being part of the ecosystem, we can work within that to put our capital at play and solve some of the challenges that are that are there. But uh, there's a lot to do, but we're keen to get our sleeves rolled up and get involved in doing that. I'm curious to ask, though, do you, have a, do you think you've got a sense of how close we are to uh, retrofit at scale? I mean, I know it's a big challenge, but from everything that you're doing, I would assume that you're, as you say, you are innovating in your own way. You're doing that research. You're trying to find out what solutions work and presumably also which ones don't. Uh, so do you have a sense? Could you Are you able to tell me if we're close or, or very far away? I think, I think we're getting there. So for um, heat, heat networks, uh, there is a way to tackle decarbonisation at scale. So if we get heat networks ruled out, you've got a scalable solution. Because um, you know, heat networks can go from a few hundred properties to citywide. Mm-hmm. So if we can find a way to do medium and large scale heat networks, that, that's one great route to doing this. Not everywhere will be able to use a heat network though. There are a lot of people out there that we're speaking to who have got some interesting neighbourhood retrofit and neighbourhood decarbonisation ideas, which I think if they can be piloted and be proven, should be replicable at scale and help accelerate the rollout and probably attracting quite a bit of institutional capital. So we're actively working in those kinds of ideas with people to see, can we start to get pilots at scale, whether it's several hundred or several thousand properties at a time, retrofitting so that there is a pilot uh, and a, essentially a, 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 an MO for the market to follow um, uh, at scale. But I, I think I think there there is change coming. You know, we have the Heat Network Scotland Act, which is in, going to be designed to enable more heat network rollout when the, the secondary legislation that will underpin it is, is all in place by, I think, it's 2024. 
Scotland's got very clear policy uh, around the the adoption of low carbon heating for air source heat pumps. We are seeing changes in building regulations coming through, which is going to drive new builds being being built on a decarbonised basis. But retrofit is always going to be the most difficult bit. But um, I think there are there are enough bright people involved in this area at the minute with enough ideas coming through that that there will be a model I think will emerge before too long on how to how to to make retrofit work. I think the situation we find ourselves in at the minute where energy costs have spiked as much as they have and as quickly as they have, probably for the first time in a long time, has brought people's energy consumption and energy costs into into uh, into the mix and into view. So I think the timing now is probably optimal for us to be engaging in the market about how do we actually retrofit in a way which reduces energy consumption and therefore energy costs where the cost reduction is a key hook to get people's interest up um, at a point where we're not actually mandating people to do yet and we're trying to encourage things. But the current climate, which I think is going to continue for a while, is probably the right time to try to really accelerate that retrofit because there's a potential for both a net zero saving and a cost saving um, by by rolling out that, that kind of exercise. Absolutely. So... Just because we were getting close to time, so I only have two more questions for you. But one thing I was curious about is is to we've touched upon it, but what are your criteria for for the people listening, the companies listening? And we we were talking on the on the panel about the difficulty of finding funding, and as you said, you're not necessarily the source of funding for all the, the stages of different company life cycles. But what are your criteria? What are you looking for just to put them into sort of a, a nice little package? Yeah. So where, um, if we're talking about funding, for example, housing directly, if, if, if we were going to be a, um, a funder of the activity which will draw on the supply chain capability that's there today, we will look for housing developers to adopt as clean a build approach as they can. Um, we're seeing a lot of people talking to us about MMC, which we like the idea of people proactively choosing to use heat networks and incorporate air source heat pumps. The cleaner and greener that the homes that people ask us to fund, the better. Okay. I think we're probably unlikely to be particularly active in funding homes which will con- connect to conventional gas grids and won't be as clean as they could be. So I think we need to try to use our capital to encourage change. And that means housing developers more proactively than the regulations might require them to do adopting um, net zero heat and, and the likes. In terms of supply chain companies, what we're looking for is really bright people. At the end of the day, we're not really backing products. We're not backing companies. We're providing our capital to management teams that we believe can execute a good business plan and get a good product that we believe and can see works to a market uh, in line with the business plan that, that, that we, we agree with them. It's ultimately about the people. And again, the people who are in that room, there's a lot of people with some great ideas. And when they can get to the stage where having worked with BEST, they can prove that their idea works. It is innovative, innovative. There is a market for what they're trying to do. And they have a view on how they will get to market. We want to partner with those people at the right time to get them the capital so that they can scale up. But it's down to them ultimately to work with BEST and others to prove that their idea, that their concept, that their technology and their product works and is backable. So, so that's, the, that's the other criteria, that there's a market. You, you, you can execute a business plan to get into a market which you have identified the opportunity 
around. Um, that that that's the key thing. Other than that, I think for us more generally, it is it is making sure that our capital has an impact. Um, mm. There's a lot of capital that will be deployed where impact won't be a primary focus. Um, it'll be about returns. For us, it's returns with impact. So making sure that the people we will partner with and the projects that we partner with can deliver demonstrable, measurable impact by the time we've deployed our capital, which can be patient capital, which is a really key thing. We can provide our capital to people and into situations longer than a lot of private capital will be. But if at the end of that journey with them, they've been able to demonstrate that the impact they told us that could be delivered and we believed can be delivered has been delivered, that's the win-win for them and for us and probably ultimately for Scotland as well because then you've got really attractive, interesting companies that are probably going to have exportable services and products. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, my last question is, uh, why is it important to have events like Best Best? It connects people. It connects people. We so often, I think, find ourselves working in silos where you're in a part of the market and you spend your time in that part of the market, whether it's as a financier, whether it's as a developer, whether it's a product uh, owner. But events like this, I think, bring so many people and so many perspectives together that it makes you think about things you hadn't thought about. Most of us have our known knowns. If, if we're smart, we have our known unknowns. But an event like this makes us realise there are probably as many unknown unknowns and it's identifying those and solving for those that will actually help us accelerate the way we make change but being connected you know i had a slide that i put onto the syst- uh, onto the to the screen which shows the ecosystem that we want to be a part of and an event like this i think is part of that it's about an ecosystem of people who work together who share ideas who innovate together and make things happen collectively rather than individually and we we will be one very small part of that, but we're keen keen to be that because there's a lot of very innovative, clever, bright thinking in there where I think when people get together, um, they'll find a way or find potentially new applications for things that they've created that they hadn't realised had another market opportunity. So I think um, the sharing of ideas, the sharing of knowledge will probably accelerate the outcomes we all want to see quicker than we might otherwise do. Brilliant. Well, Eddie, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, It was really, really good, and hopefully we can have you on again. No problem at all. Thank you for having me.